Hello, I'm Brittany Campbell-Turner, and this is the Constructor Podcast, session number 15. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Constructor. I'm Brittany Campbell-Turner, and this podcast is dedicated to helping property owners have certainty in their decisions about the construction projects. I want to help property owners foster trusting relationships with your project teams, help you understand how to lower risk, be under budget, and on schedule in your construction projects, and exceed your end user's desires. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining today. Thanks for listening to Constructor, the best way to build it. If you like my content, please subscribe at Constructor.com. That's C-O-N-S-T-R-U-C-T-R-R.com. This one encouraged me to keep providing you with interviews with excellent interviewees. When you subscribe, you'll be getting an email from me every week letting you know when a podcast is released and you'll have a link to the contact directly from your inbox. So, today's podcast, I am interviewing Nathan Wood. Listen in. As founder and chief enabling officer of Spectrum AEC, Nathan Wood's primary goal is to teach team collaboration and the utilization of technology and design and construction by solving the human barriers to new process and technology integration. Nathan and I have met through the Lean Construction community in person at the LCI Congress and again on social media. Um, But without further ado, I bring to you Nathan Wood. Thank you very much, Brittany. So how are you? How's your day been uh, so far? Good, good. I am, uh, I'm happy to be working this evening with you. Uh, I'm so amazed that uh, you do your entire day job and then do this podcast on top of that. So uh, k- kudos to you. But uh, no, I had, had a great Monday. Got, got, got to catch up from uh, a week of holiday and then it was a week of Autodesk University before that. So I uh, had a bunch to catch up on today. That's great. Well, how, how was Autodesk University? I've been wanting to hear a little bit about that since you told me you were attending there. Oh, man. Uh, AU is, is always definitely a sight to see. I mean, if you get the opportunity to go, uh, highly recommend it. And uh, definitely uh, try, try and be a speaker because if you do, they uh, give you a free registration. <laughs> but, oh, nice. Uh, um, no, it's, it's, it's a really great uh, place to sort of get the pulse of where the industry is at um, as far as uh, technology and innovation. And, and really, the, a lot of the focus the last couple of years has been on uh, kind of the human element of either machine learning or uh, uh, artificial intelligence and, and how I think some folks get scared. I think some folks get excited and, um, and really just realizing how big Autodesk is. It's so much more than just design and construction. Um, they do a lot of stuff in cinema and uh, other industries that, that we don't even touch. Well, I didn't realize they touched the cinematic industry at all. Oh, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, anything in 3D visualizations and graphics, and then, you know, they get into automotive and um, manufacturing. So, yeah, they, they, uh, they have a, a very far reach. Nice. So... I take it you were a speaker. What topics did you cover? Uh, yeah, so Chris Langiza and I, uh, he's with Styles Construction. He's a BDC director down there in Florida. And uh, we talked about uh, the democratization of data through BIM and how really all the, all the technology is ready for us and that uh, we've got sort of some, some process and some incentive uh, barriers and some kind of data translation barriers that are preventing um, really the, the free flow of information that we need to drive all this efficiency that 
technology promises. And um, it, it is interesting how sort of the conversation at these technology conferences is shifting less and less away from where the technology is failing and more towards where uh, the, the people in the process are failing. Um, so that was, that was sort of the focus of ours. Um, and then another one on uh, sort of some success stories on how we were creating integrations between um, smartvid.io is uh, an interesting new company that does, um, they will post-process photos that you can uh, upload from whatever project management solution you're using or you know, Procore or um, they can build other API integrations with anything that's an open API and they can scan photos for um, anomalies or for certain uh, uh, elements like a duct or a crane and you know, sort of like Google Photos does but more sophisticated and more centered towards the construction industry. So uh, it's a really cool technology but it's, it's more of a, a great solution still looking for the right problem so we're trying to show examples of really those use case problems of where it's a good fit and uh, where we can justify that added need for kind of a back-end post-processing which is yet another technology that I think uh, we, we never seem to have enough budget for. Yeah I think I spoke with someone with a uh, smart vid um, a few months back um, definitely trying to get a, a, a you know, a more connected relationship with them. So, no, that that would be cool. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, I mean, Josh Kanner, the CEO, you know, he may be someone you want to uh, get on here at some point. He uh, formerly was the CEO of Vela Systems, which got sold to Autodesk and became BIM 360 Field, if you've heard of that, which is sort of a field tracking platform. And so he's now CEO at, at SmartVid.io. Um, but, yeah, very, very smart guy up in uh, Boston in uh, Massachusetts. Sweet. No, yeah, thanks for giving me a, a – little synopsis synopsis of what you were able to talk about. Those are awesome topics. Uh, yeah, we could talk about that for days, but uh, yeah, <laughs> you'll have to help me uh, stay back on topic. <laughs> no worries. Let's, let's hop right into uh, the interview questions I have here. Great. Um, I want to know a little bit about how you came to, to learn about BIM, how you got in, involved with it, how you got started. Yeah, so uh, BIM sort of uh, fell, fell into my lap. Um, I was with uh, DPR Construction, which uh, coming out of school out of University of Texas um, had just you know heard everyone raving that they were you know sort of the most innovative and the most technology forward. And having done some internships in their uh, Washington D.C. office and down in uh, down in Austin, uh, wanted to go to the headquarters, be in the Bay Area. Um, sort of see where, you know, be at the heart of everything and uh, happen to land on a very innovative integrated project delivery uh, contract style, which is the shared risk and reward for Sutter Health and um, landed in a BIM role, even though my, my traditional role coming into the company was a project engineer, but I, I sort of had a knack for technology and um, figured out on-screen takeoff uh, pretty quickly. So they said, yeah, I want you to start doing uh, BIM for uh, our con self-performed concrete group. And so it was it was really what, what was an interesting um, kind of petri dish and scenario that led to the innovation was the, this combination of the recession and uh, really being on the bench. In fact, uh, my start date at DPR was postponed about six months um, during that recession in the 2008 timeframe. And uh, coming on there, I couldn't get that traditional project engineer role. So they said, well, you know, here's a spot in BIM. And through that, started to learn and understand where we were finding all kinds of challenges in the exterior skin design and how they're trying to use design assist and 
uh, prefabricated elements, but they were also trying to do BIM coordination and the technology didn't talk to each other, but I had, you know, picked up this new structural tool called Tecla Structures and uh, we were doing rebar modeling and structural steel modeling and uh, creating uh, these, you know, digital 2D uh, fabrication drawings that I was plotting out and giving to the guys in the field that had, you know, exactly the information that they needed for mechanical inserts and, and uh, all the structural hangers so that we're not, you know, having quality issues and, you know, they're showing 10, 10, 15% productivity increase and higher quality. So it was, it was amazing just the direct return on investment that we were seeing from BIM because it was this firsthand right at that hundred foot level from model it, you know, in the computer, understand the complexity of it, come up with that solution and then figure out how to build it in the field. And the, the ROI was just, um, it, it was, it, we, we didn't even have to, you know, track it that much because it was so obvious that, um, but fortunately we did have a bunch of college grad students and, uh, that were like to study, uh, hours and hours of uh, film and, you know, showed a, a lot of great metrics and studies that are out there. If you Google it on, you know, just the, the productivity increase of this combination of collaboration, um, shared incentives and lean process and integrated BIM. So let's talk a little bit about lean process and um, what you're mentioning a shared risk, shared reward um, approach. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so, you know, IPD, Integrated Project Deliveries, it, it's been around for, you know, over, over a decade at least. Um, Howard Ashcraft, sort of the, the, the godfather of it um, with, uh, with Hanson Bridget and um, San Francisco Bay Area. And um, it's traditionally been just between an owner and an architect and a contractor that says, you know, we will uh, share equally in this, you know, risk and reward based on uh, the, the, the pool of money that we put into it, you know, how much skin we have in the game. Uh, and there's, you know, certain levels of contingencies. And, and for that um, shared risk and reward, the owner kind of protects uh, that same team so that if, the, if they go over that number that um, at least they're not their profit is protected, but uh, their fee, at least their you know basic costs are protected, and there's certain coverages. So that that's where a lot of the challenges come in with it. But ultimately, it is the the theoretical um, motivational uh, system you know to, that we need to create uh, the true collaboration and um, interactions between designers and engineers and builders to uh, solve the very real challenges earlier on in the project because too often. Um, the, the legalese that we sign early on uh, end up catching up with us down the road, and, and usually the incentive is to kick the can down the road rather than solve the problem up front. And what I learned is that IPD really does flip that on its head and, and creates those to say, no, we, we need to solve this now because it's going to hurt us more later, and it's going to hurt all of us, so let's solve this now. And uh, as long as the team understands and it's very clear that that is the mindset – you can, you know, solve amazing problems. And that's where they, they were able to save 30% um, on their uh, overall design and construction schedule, which was what drove them to do IPD in the first place. Um, but it's, it's sort of a two-edged sword because you have to make sure you have the right culture to go with the shared risk and reward. So quick question then. I, I'm just trying to think through what Sutter Health may have been thinking when they decided to, to go with this approach to go with this IPD on steroids model <laughs> as it showed on like the e, the ENR um, news report here so I I what why did, you said they they had 
30% reduction on schedule in their design and construction. How did, how did they even track that? Tell me a little bit more about that tracking mechanism. Well, that, that was more of a wake-up call realization um, that is, was actually driven from a top-down mandate. Because uh, anyone who's built healthcare in California uh, knows the word Oshpod, um, which isn't exactly four letters, it's, but it, it might as well be a four-letter word uh, when it comes to uh, state inspections for healthcare and it's you know for all the seismic requirements. And they, they've got some uh, had a lot of new mandates that were rolling in. Um, I think it was January first of 2013 was when the project had to be uh, o- the doors had to be open. And this was you know back in 2007. So at that point, they already knew based on their historical data that they were going to have to build this and get it open and be compliant 30% faster than they'd ever done it before that early mm. on. And so they knew that at the time, a traditional model, which 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 is going to fight and drag out and be in lawsuits and you know time won't matter, you know won't work. They have to do something where uh, you know the the time is the most important aspect of it. So they'll take on that risk of an integrated project delivery. Um, and and they had you know trusted partners and had had success with them. And this wasn't their first time around. So you know they didn't okay. dive in everything head first. You know it was the first time taking this level of, you know, IPD at the 11 partners, but it was with trusted partners like DPR that had had previous successful BIM projects before that were not IPD um, to say, hey, we can do this and let's, you know, take the next level of risk. And the way we'll do it is with this, you know, new carrot called IPD, where if we just saw the savings on the last project that you didn't get back because it was guaranteed maximum price without shared savings, you know, then may, or I, I can't remember exactly what it was before, but it was, it was, you know, not as incentivized. So that's, it made sense at the time for all players to, to go into that. And it, it, I think the story is it has to be the right situation. And I don't think IPD is the answer for every single project, but um, I do think it is the answer for a lot of projects that don't uh, necessarily get at the time of day just because, you know, they may have heard a horror story from someone else. Okay. So I'm just, I'm trying to tease out the risks here now. Yeah. So, you know, right. So from guaranteed maximum price, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess what were the, the issues that, that were glaring before that really needed to be addressed? I mean, schedule you talked about already. You needed to get in before January 1st because of Oshpod. I'm not from California. (laughs) Office of Statewide Health Planning and Development, I think is what it stands for. Um, and it's, it's okay. the, it's, it, if you, like, it's like, if you've ever built airports, the FAA is, is extremely yep. strict there. Oshpod is, I don't know. It'd be a toss up on who's more strict between Oshpod and FAA. Okay. Fair enough. So we know schedules a restriction. Um, what are the other challenges or glaring issues that, that pushed, you know, Sutter to go towards IPD? Uh, I mean, just the nature of uh, healthcare in general. I mean, healthcare you typically mm-hmm. find is uh, one of the most progressive uh, segments in the market when it comes to BIM, purely just because you're packing, you know, a, a, an entire you know manufacturing plant worth of pipes and tubes and med gas and pneumatic and whatever else. But then, yeah, it still needs to look like a five-star hotel, and so that's uh, extremely complex and um, you know very expensive to not get right. And when the technology is available, 
uh, you know, you're, you're going to pay up for that when um, the cost benefit analysis makes sense. And so uh, a lot of the stories that we tell, you know, even in, in our spectrum workshops is that, you know, just because the reason why I use BIM at DPR on the Sutter Castor Valley project isn't necessarily why a contractor in the Midwest is going to use BIM. You know, there are a lot of different reasons why, and it depends on the type of projects you're doing, who you're working with, what contract you signed, uh, the, the unique complexities of the job, and, and you know, other factors. So it, it's, it's really never, unfortunately, going to be a one-size-fits-all. Okay. All right. So potentially there's just, as amount of, just the same amount of risk and a maximum um, guaranteed maximum price and design-build approach. And, you know, it's potentially. And it's just a matter of understanding the contractual model. Is that what you're saying? It's definitely not a one-size-fits-all. perception, right? I mean, you, you, mm. you can sign a lump sum job that, that says that your risk is protected, but at the end of the day, at the end of the job, when, you know, everybody's defaulted and <laughs> you're, you're, you're paying, you know, at the end, uh, and, and all of the risks show that traditional models, you know, we, we've seen the stats, we've seen the productivity, we've seen, um, the, the consistent failure rate. So to say that the new thing is too risky when doing the same thing is absolutely risky, you know, it's, we just have to ask ourselves, what is risk? And um, and really understand how best to manage risk in an industry where you know that's that's all we do is manage risk. So you know I think having a strategy of shedding it isn't necessarily smart. It's about knowing what risks you're better at managing and which ones you're better at passing to someone else that's better at managing it. I think that's a a great way to look at it because I've I've constantly looked at <laughs> different ways of explaining the difference between an IPD contract and the risk associated <laughs> with it and I think that's a that's a great way to describe just it's it's really what are you capable of managing and and how do you learn more about it and and manage it better yeah ultimately no, um, I mean, I, I think my, my utopia contract, you know, if we're, if we're talking to owners and this is our audience, you know, would be some sort of a modified, you know, digital construction manager role, you know, that, that does the audits, that does the data checking, but can be a pass through to a, a ton of individual guaranteed maximum price to all the different, you know, special skill sets that the owner wants to keep within, you know, their understanding of the risk and that it's actually worth them having more direct contracts and um, having more sort of referral agents that act as these sort of construction managers and, uh, um, kind of influencers and enablers between them that it won't necessarily be this happy-go-lucky IPD. I think it'll be somewhere in between a uh, GMP with shared savings and an IPD. Mm, okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. It, 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 you sort of need that transitory space, yeah, <laughs> if it, you it, will. Sort of, you know, what it, what is, and, and part of it, too, is that, that I'm even trying to do that with how do we pay for technology and, you know, does the owner really know what they're paying for with technology and what's what's hidden behind numbers, what's uh, transparent, and at the end of the day, if the owner's paying anyway, you know, why, why shouldn't they we just reestablish what technology should cost on a project and, and reestablish that baseline. Cause right now, you know, according to Gartner, we're one third what the, uh, uh, across industry average should be. Um, and you know, about one seventh, uh, what healthcare is right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
Um, that's, that's incredible numbers, quite honestly. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I wanted to just dig di- a little bit deeper on your initial experiences so that we just get a better understanding of, you know, what your involvement with, with BIM was and, and then IPD. Um, but I do want to get back into, you know, the, the story of, you know, how you, how you were involved at DPR as a project engineer, and then, you know, basically the journey of how you got to where you are today. So I think we dug in a little bit. Yeah, no, this is good. I, it's a good place to pick up because I think my role was sort of this, this rogue, uh, BIM guy that I wasn't the traditional uh, MEP coordination uh, Navis works uh, would would be what a, a general contractor would typically be doing. I was focused more on uh, the core and the shell of the building and rebar and exterior skin coordination and um, was was able to do some again with with that petri dish and that opportunity at Castor Valley um, did some pretty cool things and submitted you know won some awards through the the Teclas, uh, software that uh, we were using and um, ended up winning their global BIM award and and they actually flew me out to Finland um, at one point to sort of uh, talk more as as sort of an end customer and uh, help their marketing team with you know understanding more about how the U.S. customer were using their software in ways that they didn't even realize it could be used because <laughs> it's you know more of a canvas than anything. Um, so uh, for, you know from that I took that same skill set over to the sister project for uh, Castro Valley, which was the Alta Bates project, and um, that was a, a, a similar. It was actually twelve parties instead of eleven parties. So um, had all the designers, all of the engineers, uh, and all this and the major MEP trades all signed on together, as well as the structural steel contractor into another integrated project delivery. Um, unfortunately that project was not as successful. Um, and, um, but we had a, you know, a lot of really interesting lessons learned and it was a much more challenging project. And I think, um, we're actually trying to write a, a lean academic paper that is really kind of this root cause analysis that doesn't try and look for blame, but really looks to understand, you know, why did this IPD project, um, that was so, so great and so awesome, you know, in the Sutter Castro Valley and how ENR portrays it, and then, and, you know, a project that's supposed to be the exact same contractor is the exact same contract, uh, the exact same, you know, technology and the same process, yet a very different result and trying to understand why and not just say, you know, IPD is bad. Um, so, you know, that's, that's really been a, a lot of my passion is trying to understand why one project was successful and why one wasn't. Um, and, uh, and after that, it, you know, took, took my way, uh, actually into DPR's, uh, corporate innovation team. So then I got to visit, you know, uh, probably close to hundreds of projects, uh, over the last three or four years, um, with them, uh, seeing, you know, different contract styles, different motivations, different personalities, um, uh, um, and, and different ways that technology does and doesn't work and was just uh, amazed at how certain projects were able to make a technology work that another project team, you know, um, was, you know, throwing in the garbage can and trying to figure out why one was working and one wasn't. So it was, it was a really uh, eye-opening experience and um, was also where I got that opportunity to uh, go out to the Middle East, like you had said earlier. Oh, so you were able to then start primarily study BIM then, uh, it sounds like when you, when you were traveling on the innovation team, is that correct? Yeah, that was very much, um, again, like understanding why DPR uses BIM in the, in California Mm -hmm. for healthcare, um, as a coordination tool and then going to the middle East where, 
uh, a very large uh, contractor on a very large airport project, uh, co consolidated contractors company, and they use BIM in a very different way because they uh, it's it's more of a uh, construction manager at risk style contract, I believe, or or that's a lot of what they do, and. They are very uh, um, disciplined in the way that they use quantities from BIM and create models in the very beginning and are constantly comparing their model-driven quantities to what the, the bill of quantities, which, and again, because they use a British Commonwealth system that's based on a standardized bill of quantities and a unit rate, uh, they're much more incentivized to focus on quantities and production rates, and so they've done the whole 5D, which if uh, 3D is is you know or for 2D to 3D is BIM, and then 4D is the the 3D plus time, then 5D is uh, 3D plus time plus schedule, so that you've connected your um, sort of your cost and your schedule. Uh, and your models all together to create sort of a movie of how your cash flow and they would have uh, amazing histograms of plan versus actual um, and within two weeks it became very clear that there was no way DPR could ever do that because there wasn't an incentive to do it that way and it was going to take so many bodies and so many people and so much uh, of, a, of a cultural shift um, but it, it, but they really were doing what they said they were doing, and and half of it was just a fact finding to find out if they were actually doing what they said they were doing. <laughs> so I um the British Commonwealth um, system. I'm a, I'm I'm somewhat familiar with it just because of where I work at at Mace. Mm -hmm. Um, they I mean they're based out of London, so you know definitely BIM when when they describe BIM it it sometimes is quite a bit different from what we describe BIM here in the US and you're mentioning the addition of the the schedule and the costs correct yep. the bill of um quantity so um it sounds like to me there's a bit of standardization that comes with um even even how the work is executed um is that is that true? Is that how it goes? Well, I, I'm 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 glad you brought up UK and and um, um, because the reason why they're doing BIM and and I think and a big you know motivation I, I think comes back to uh, this acronym that I, I keep going back to of, of WIFM. Have you heard of WIFM yet? I feel like I I've seen it on Twitter <laughs> what, or something what, like what that. It for me. <laughs> Um, yes, yeah. with them. Yes. But, but <laughs> so let's so let's go back to Sutter. So Sutter, what's in it for me is we have a we need a thirty percent schedule compression, and we just proved in our last job that BIM saves us, you know, all this time and and money through the coordination side, which is much more geometry driven, and that's why in the U.S. you see. Uh, BIM used in total stations, uh, much greater use in the supply chain through mechanical and electrical plumbing firms and general contractors than you do in architects, engineers, because unless you're working for GSA or, you know, another government agency or, uh, you know, a client that requires uh, intense BIM standards, you know, you, there's not really incentive to follow it. And mm -hmm. UK, everything is now about this top-down government-run uh, BIM data mandate and this, you know, you, you should uh, do BIM and, you know, you won't get paid if you don't do BIM. And so the, the burden of that very much falls on the architects in the models that they deliver. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think that the true question becomes how well does that information flow downstream because if you look at WIFM, uh, I just, I don't see an incentive 
incentive uh, to follow what BIM level two says you should do um, until they have some very significant changes in their contracts. Mm, okay. That's so interesting to me. Um, you know, there, there is this divide across the pond, right? And, <laughs> um, you know, there's definitely this, this, uh, there's a lot of integration of, of BIM and lean. Um, and, and it seems sometimes that there's so much innovation, but at the same time, we're, we're taking what we think makes sense here, but ultimately all of it makes sense, right? It comes back to incentivization, but it's understanding the risk, right? Because if you understood the risk, that would be incentive enough, quite honestly, or the risk reduction. Well, yeah, <laughs> and, and I think the whole point with them is is not to look at it holistically, but to understand that, you know, I don't think I do a presentation without this slide that, you know, BIM is just a tool <laughs> that that tool is only as good as that person using it. And even that person can be only as only be as effective as the process allows them to be. And again, we get back to contracts, we get back to incentives and we get back to, you know, skill sets and, and training, but not just training. It's I, I talk a lot about the difference between education and training, because in this day and age, technology is becoming so much easier that it's more about how do we. Uh, you know, figure out quickly how to use the technology, but understand more about the the ins and outs of how it works, so that we can train the technology to do our jobs better than we can. And that's really what machine learning is all about. And until we, you know, stop being afraid of machine learning taking our jobs and realizing that it's only as good as you know the the, the power of our brains. Um, you know, then then we'll really uh, take over the industry and, and fix our productivity issues. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, we're we're like minded in that, and and hopefully the uh, the business owners that are listening here um, see see that AI is on the horizon, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but it, but it, <laughs> I mean, it, it's truly it, here. It, it, it really. It so yeah, it can be garbage in, garbage out as well. So exactly. Sword. Oh man, so. Just kind of getting back on track here, um, you know, if it complete the complete the story of, you know, you, you said you went and traveled over to Abu Dhabi um, and and you were learning about, you know, how to utilize BIM on that end of things. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that was, again, a, gr a great opportunity. Great perspective. Um, you know, got to visit with um, DPR has a, a BIM subsidiary company uh, in Pune, India, that actually a, a couple um, former DPR employees that were one of them was the BIM manager above me, Sarab and, and Durga. They have a, a company out there. So I got to visit them in India and see their team that, you know, was I think at one point eight. Now they're up over 70 folks now, um, which is just great to see. Uh, how much that's growing, and really, this it, it sort of uh, talks to this globalization of uh, BIM and of BIM services. And um, while I, I certainly have seen the the byproduct of bad, uh, you know, BIM out of you know India and Malaysia, where 
they're more or less just copy and pasting, uh, you know, from old drawings or, um, you know, doing backwards workflows. I think there are some good opportunities to leverage kind of this 24 hour work cycle, um, and, and create successes. So, you know, that, that was, that was a cool opportunity to, to learn about, you know, what they're doing out there. Um, but, uh, but most of the time was spent in the U S just connecting between offices, trying to spread as much, you know, best practices, lessons learned, knowledge, um, between different projects and, you know, understand just the, the differences, um, in the landscape of, uh, you know, how important owners are in the process, how important, uh, the architects are in the process. Um, and even, you know, within DPR that from project to project that just team culture cultures sometimes depend on, um, the right, you know, chemistry of, uh, leadership, uh, you know, across the team. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just kind of thinking through here, uh, you know, you were, you were able to get all these experiences and, and travel across the country and, and understand the, the best practices to implement, and you did a lot of sharing between those offices just because you were able to travel as part of the innovation team. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you find the buy-in when you were traveling around to the different offices within DPR? Would you say that DPR was pretty much acculturated to, to BIM and Lean at this point? Um. No, I, I mean, I think, I think with any company, um, well, any company that has more than a couple regional offices, you'll find that, um, there's certainly a cultural difference, you know, across offices and, um, you know, even within regions. And so I, I you, you learn, you learn a few tricks of the trade, especially in, in a construction industry or in a, in a business like the construction industry. And, um, I, I, I often refer to them as Jedi mind tricks, uh, to sort of get, get some of the folks that, um, you know, just walking into the room, you can see their face that they're going to be resistant to anything. That's not the way that they've always done it because they're proud of uh, whatever they need to be proud of. And, and that's, and that's fine. And, th- and I, I, I want to help them understand that they have a huge, you know, legacy, a huge amount of knowledge that they need to share. And that even though they're going to be resistant to the technology that, you know, the guys below them are going to be using it. And that if, if, you know, they can't, uh, you know, somehow impart their knowledge and their information and their lessons learned on the next generation that, you know, they're, they're giving away their value and they're giving away their IP. And so, um, I think that's, that's really where I'm hoping that the culture of sort of this baby boomer generation, um, a lot of the superintendents that are retiring now that, um, they're recognizing that, you know, just because they're, they're not building with their hands anymore, doesn't mean that there's not, you know, a ton of value in their heads that, uh, can be, uh, translated through technology, um, and partnering with them with, you know, younger millennials that, you know, pick this stuff up lickety split. Tell me your top Jedi mind trick. <laughs> <laughs> I want to uh, hear. <laughs> well, it, 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 I don't. I mean, I don't think it's ever a specific trick. I, I think it has to do with questions. You know, you can't ever be right with someone who has to be right. You have to tell them that they're right, and then continue to ask them questions until their answer to their question either contradicts themselves or makes them, you know, makes them sound silly. 
Uh, and so that that's usually the the um, holistic trick is is a series of questions, uh, not to give too much away. But but I think that is the point <laughs> is that we should be curious. We should be thinking. You know, it's not just if this then that. We should really be figuring out why and how. Um, you know, especially in an industry like construction, where it's all about you know understanding constructability and, and unique situations and one-offs and imparting that knowledge. And the only way we're ever going to have big data is if we start collecting the data, you know, out of the, the heads of these great minds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm I'm always looking for ways to. Like, for lack of a better word, convince people, uh, you know, that this is the mentality that you should start having. Yes, the industry is changing. You need to jump on the bandwagon. This is how you do it. And I'm all I'm always looking for what do you call Jedi mind tricks to to convince. Well, and, well, and part of it is even saying you know you need to or you should, and, and always asking why why should you? I think the whole power of of Uber, of Airbnb, of any of these sort of design thinking, you know, that matchmakers that say, well, of course the taxi driver didn't care about the rider and the rider didn't care about the taxi driver, but now all of a sudden you got this Uber that actually cares about both sides and, you know, wants to make that as, as fair and equitable as possible. You know, I think we, we, what is that the version of that for this industry? It's not an app, you know, it's, it's something more on, on a human level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, I like that you just mentioned something more on a human level. Um, I know that in the past you and I have, have spoken specifically about um, addressing the people first. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I know that's you know pretty much one of your your biggest goals of your business to to address the the people first. Um, so tell me a little bit. I don't know if you want to tell me a little bit about Spectrum AEC now and and how you got started there. And um, yeah, no, actually, you know, this is, uh, yeah. this is a, a perfect segue because I think you're right. We we met at the the IGLC in in Boston um, was a, a year and a half ago, or oh yeah, a little over a year ago. And, um, mm-hmm. and that was, uh, I was still a DPR at, at that point, but, um, it was both going to the, the lean conference in Boston. And then the very next week was the BIM conference, uh, down in Orlando, the BIM forum, and just having these conversations with the two different sides of the aisle of sort of the, the process people, the lean folk that, that put on the lean hat and then the, the technology folk, the, the BIM folk and put on the BIM hat and that both sides are sort of saying, you know, Hey, this is really about the people. This is about, you know, developing the process and the culture and, and, um, you know, and technology was saying the same thing, you know, Hey, we got this BIM stuff, but we really got to figure out this process. We got to figure out the people and the culture. And yet, if you talk to any of them about, Hey, what do you think about lean? Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm BIM. I'm not lean. <laughs> Anyone that you ask about lean, you know, Oh no, I'm, 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 I'm lean. I'm not BIM. And, uh, we're very dismissive of the other side and almost, uh, it almost felt like high school clicks or something. Um, and recognizing that we, we need to break through this uh, stigma, and and I and I, I think I understand why, and um and and really why Spectrum's trying to to, to uh, bridge this gap between what technology and what BIM says we should do, and you know where where the lean culture that sort of says, hey, we should get down to the grassroots, understand you know how these guys are working, help them be more efficient, and. A lot of that, you know, the, the technology isn't there. It's not most efficient for what they're trying to do, and it actually impedes their efficiency. And so, 
um, I, by, by my experience of recognizing those sides that to me, technology is amazing, but I can also see the frustration in it. And that sometimes it is just easier to write something on a piece of paper or, you know, use a whiteboard. It doesn't have to be digital. Um, and, and taking that approach, uh, is, is how we try and develop, uh, project delivery standards, how we try and develop BIM standards, you know, trying to recognize that, uh, we're trying to solve the productivity dilemma. You know, we're not trying to solve the BIM data dilemma. Um, that's one part of it. And that will be a great benefit when we get to that, but we got to help people be more efficient and we got to help them be more efficient by getting digital and different people like to be digital in different ways. And, you know, just like everybody's got their favorite map app or, um, you know, or chat app or anything else. Um, I don't think that that preference is going to go away. So how do we develop a language just like a, an HTML, but for, for our industry, that's more of a, a construction HTML that helps us talk between all these different platforms, all these technologies that, you know, we'll let them compete with the, with each other, but we got to establish what our language is going to be. Um, and, uh, and we want to help, you know, develop that through the, the workshops that we do and, um, and, uh, and, and yeah, th through technology integrations and all those sorts. Hmm. So if, if you don't mind, just kind of give me a sense of, of the type of services that you would provide a, a, at Spectrum. I know we talked a little bit about, um, the coaching method, um, but give me give me a sense of, of how you would roll out working with a client. Yeah, so they, every client's always going to start with uh, what we call an A3 workshop. And um, A3, you know, from the lean world is is the size of the sheet of paper, and it goes through um, the background and different conditions, which we do follow that. But for us, A3 represents assess, align, and advance. And it's really a three-day workshop where um, the assessment phase starts with um, visiting job sites, understanding the language of uh, how the team is communicating, you know, where some of the uh, maybe communication breakdowns are or technology or workflow breakdowns are, um, bring sort of that leadership together um, to discuss it, to sort of understand, to break the ice and to point out where some of those process breakdowns are that we want to change and see what, what barriers are within our control, which ones are out of our control. And then on that third day, really come up with a, uh, a tactical action plan that can start on day one and sort of have that 90-day plan to uh, establish some key performance indicators. You know, what are the things either inside uh, as an organization or within a specific project team that we're going to change, that we're going to make better and measure through these key performance indicators um, and, and sometimes it takes uh, technology integrations where we're referring in uh, other technology consultants or systems integrators uh, to do uh, that sort of work. Sometimes it's a new technology that the team wasn't aware of that we're just referring you know, out that technology. You know, we're not trying to do the technology side, but we speak it very well mm -hmm. and really trying to stay on the, on the strategy side and support you know, through the education, through the training, um, and the measurement of those so that we'll do those, you know, 30, 60, 90 day check-ins, ensure that, you know, uh, everything is being adopted the way that um, it's expected to be, knowing that you're going to have a little bit of a dip in productivity through that learning curve um, before you get back up and that we'll measure through that so that people don't get discouraged and, you know, quit on it halfway through. No, I think that's a, a great mechanism to, to track regularly how, how it's working for the client. I mean... For for our clients, 
oftentimes they, they like to ensure that, you know, whatever money they're investing um, in consulting or in software, that it's definitely getting the, the rate of return that it, it should. Um, what, what are the metrics that clients are, are typically looking for? Or if, if even it's not the yeah. same, do you, do you hear something that's typical among some of your clients? No, no I mean, I'll, I'll answer your question in a different way because you brought up a, sure. brought up a perfect point though of, of the difference between return on investment and a key performance indicator, because a return on investment would say, you know, uh, I, I, I guess they they assume that by collecting data and analyzing that that they can you know reduce uh, their their current waste by you know fifty percent. But I think the question becomes how many of these companies actually know how much waste they're creating because usually they don't track it in the first place. <laughs> so part part of yeah. this is um, you know how do you change the culture and how do you recognize that this sort of an investment is. Um, I, I don't like to use the word disruptive. Uh, I, I prefer to use transformative <laughs> because the people are willing it to happen, not being pulled it, uh, into it happening. But it, it is sort of this ripping a Band-Aid and, and needing to go through this, you know, coaching a new habit to uh, track things more in a more disciplined way, to establish certain um, checkpoints that say we're going to have, you know, good tracking and good data and we're going to look at it and we're going to measure it to learn, not measure it to blame. And, and that's the hardest part for executives because they start seeing waste and they want to go point people out. And, and that, that all that does is create people's incentive to hide <laughs> that same data that you just collected. So, you know, how that is approached in the very beginning is, is a critical step. And we sort of want to help, you know, coach again through that. And, and what is this new sort of lean leadership uh, that is required when we do this level of measuring that say, you know, we're here to make you better, not here to whip you if you don't do what, you know, X, Y, and Z says in this, you know, user manual. Um, so that, that's, that, that's one of the biggest challenges, uh, through this is, again, is the culture. And, and that's where uh, our tagline spectrum AC is we build people because we want to be there at the forefront of, of the people that develop the right process that pairs with the best technology, knowing that, you know, there, there's plenty of lean experts out there that, you know, can talk theory for days, but usually a lot of it comes from Toyota. It comes from manufacturing that doesn't exactly understand the same cultural challenges that we're going through. Um, there's also a lot of great BIM folks that come from, you know, data and computer science that think they can solve the problem, but they, again, forget about that human element. So by bridging that gap between the two sides, I think we can really solve some, some, uh, uh, interesting problems that, that, that can create some, some very synergistic um, uh, innovations and, and hopefully some significant ROI. But it's about um, ex executives and owners recognizing that there's going to be that dip in, in productivity. You know, we're going to see things go down before they go up. So let's measure it down and then measure it back up. And then, you know, after 12, 16, 18 months, you know, we'll start seeing those ROIs. But if we're too focused on that in the beginning, uh, you, you'll end up not getting what you want. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I am. Um, I can see how well that will work, um, especially with with utilizing the the A three model, um, especially if you're doing the the plan, do, check, act mm -hmm. um, process. Um, you know, at those checkpoints, reviewing their, their key performance indicators. I, I think that's a, a great approach. 
um, because you really do establish a, um, that foundation of, okay, well, where are you now? And if you don't measure where you're, where you are today, there's no way you can understand how, whether you've even approved or, or, you know, yeah. gotten worse. Right. Yeah, so really at the end of the day, the key performance indicators should, should either be around time savings of the individual that's supposed to input data and, you know, what is the quality of the data that you're receiving? And those things don't mm -hmm. directly correlate to ROI, but they certainly indirectly correlate to ROI. And so by focusing on those first and, and not, uh, you know, overemphasizing ROI in the beginning, we'll end up, you know, at a much higher reason. I mean, that's, that's all the Harvard Business Review and, or Harvard Business School and John Cotter and um, all of those studies of, um, you know, how to overcome these organizational change efforts is uh, through that sort of an approach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, tell me what you love most about being uh, a coach at Spectrum. I mean, obviously you're the founder, you're the CEO, but what do you love most about, um, being able to help people in this way? Oh man. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, definitely the, the this whole not having a boss thing, you know, I, I think you, you were, <laughs> you, you were talking about, you know, the co-working in the last one. And, and I definitely feel like I'm sort of this, this Guinea pig, uh, for, you know, trying to be, you know, freelance, uh, you know, consulting and, um, coaching in this industry that, that needs a lot of it, but, uh, isn't used to this sort of an approach. So it, it's been, you know, it's been an interesting year just trying to describe what the heck spectrum AC is and where it fits in this industry, because there, there isn't currently a spot. Um, but if, I mean, if you talk to Barb Jackson with the design build Institute, you know, she talks about this role of an integrated project leader. And I think a lot of what I'm trying to do is establish this role of an integrated project leader. And a lot of times it shouldn't actually be someone that's on the project day in and day out. It should be someone that, you know, has another job, you know, has a day job, but that then does these sort of check-ins, um, and, and, uh, you know, can keep this accountability from this, uh, sort of outsider unbiased, uh, standpoint. And, um, again, it's, it's to me, there's so much in this psychology of how to get, uh, designers and engineers and architects that are different personalities that don't generally enjoy hanging out together to, you know, argue and to truly collaborate, which involves conflict and debate, um, and not worry about suing each other, but actually, um, having an opinion and standing for it. And at the end of the day, the owner, you know, needs to make a decision if, if they can't come to one themselves. Um, and it's, it's a much more involved process, but it's a much better product at the end of the day. Hmm. No, yeah, I, <laughs> I, um, I get really excited when I think about people being, forced to, to kind of think group, group think is a bad word, but because <laughs> you don't want people to think aimlessly, but I, I love the idea of, of getting people to think at a higher level and collaborate at a higher level. That's something that like excites me so much. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I think that, and I, that it's worth paying for the time to do that, you know, paying for that experience is something that absolutely. 
And so, you know, we can't even pay for the technology, let alone the experience part of it. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's one of those things that, um, you know, you really do, you can't see the benefit of getting people to, to really think on that higher level until they're in the room doing it sometimes. Um, and I, and I, and I guess, you know, how do you convince, like, how do you, I don't know who, who is your, who's your primary client? Is it the contractor? Is it, is it the owner? Like, how do you convince people that this, this makes sense, you know, and that, you know, I, I know yeah, I'm asking you all your tricks, well, right? Your Jedi tricks, but and, 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 I mean, part of the whole, whole, you know, reason behind spectrum, you know, that it is such a wide spectrum of this industry. And, and really it's the two opposite ends of it that, have I've seen the most uh, sort of interest and attraction, and, and I knew at the end of the day was where there was the most incentive for a role like myself, and so that would be you know the developer, the the either you know multi uh, multi-family commercial um, style that you know didn't didn't really have a need for BIM before, but now it's gotten to a price point and sort of a, a market penetration where they can see the value of it. Um, you know, even though mm. they're not as, as complex as, you know, manufacturing or, uh, or a hospital. Um, and, and they can really start to take advantage of the kit of parts and the data side of it. But they're also facing this realization that the industry isn't as far along as the technology guys are telling them that they are. So that's where, you know, those who, who recognize that, um, you know, would, would bring me in to, uh, help address and understand, um, building those partners locally with them, you know, working with them to establish, uh, requirements either at a project level or at an organizational level, um, that are, are pragmatic, but will get both sides results that, that are needed. Um, so I think there's, you know, a, a lot of opportunities there. Okay. Awesome. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you're really starting up, uh, starting up front with, um, developers and, um, establishing those, those guidelines, if you will. Yeah. And then on the opposite end would be, okay, you know, the, the owner doesn't care or it's hard bid or it's, you know, stay and we can't control it. And then let's go all the way to the opposite side down to the subcontractor, especially, you know, the mechanical, the plumbing contractor that, um, is becoming much more sophisticated in owning their own supply chain of design information and engineering drawings to, uh, you know, fabrication spool sheets to, uh, kit aparts, uh, modular, uh, fabrication and delivery and installation. So, uh, but, but it's, it's still, there's only a handful that are really taking advantage of that. And that's something mm-hmm. where even in an, an old school adversarial contract, they actually gain benefit out of that because, their ability to control data, to control impacts, and to track all of that will usually help them in their argument at the end of the day because it was usually their lack of ability to track that was how they got taken advantage of. And um, so they, they, they've got more, again, skin in the game uh, and a reason why they would want to track that data and want to invest in it. Um, whereas, you know, the more of these G- GMP contracts for, for general contractors or kind of these uh, uh, GMP style for the architects, um, it's, it's too much of this relationship business and not enough of an incentive to take the risks that are needed uh, to invest in technology adoption. Awesome. Okay. No, that makes, that makes a whole lot of sense. Okay, great. Um, no, it's great to learn about your, your, 
your business and, and kind of where you fit right now and the potentiality of, of what this could be, right? Once people understand the value um, of basically the you're really that connection point, right? Between technology and the people and, and the process exactly. <laughs> ultimately. Yeah. Well, and, and one, you know, one, one last uh, thing I should talk about too on the process side and, and globalization. So mm-hmm. one company that I've, I've met recently uh, out of Sydney, Australia is uh, it's Ridley and their, their CEO, Josh Ridley, great, great guy, super passionate um, about coming over here and helping solve what they've solved out in Australia because once again, they're more like the British Commonwealth and more like a UK that would have top-down mandates on BIM and data and requirements, and, and they've actually had been doing it longer than the UK has. So they've actually adopted it fairly well, and these guys um, partner with uh, architects, you know, uh, either um, very high-end um, uh, design architects uh, and or with uh, small architecture firms, and they're the kind of technical executive architect that will do all of the um, drawing sets and all of the Revit models and manage all of the database um, and and be sort of that middle person, that glue between the design, the designer and the contractor. And so again, like w- what contract model do you sign up for that you know uh, creates them as this middle person between them? You know, I don't, I don't think we've fully defined that yet, but um, I could I could see where that would fit in. And those are opportunities where you know we're just looking for the right owners that see a need for you know hey we're going to build a lot of um, you know a lot of different properties in a lot of different locations and we'd rather we we want to keep consistency in the data of how our designs and and operations of our facilities, and, but yet you still want to get a different design and feel for each location. You know I think this this new separation of the design architect and the technical architect. Um, is only going to continue to happen, and I think it's actually a good thing. And they'll actually end up taking up more of what uh, general contractors are currently doing with BIM, and they can focus more on the cost and the schedule and the constructability. Um, but we'll also be BIM savvy, and we we create sort of that checks and balances that is needed in the industry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, no, I, I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna check uh, Josh Ridley out. Yeah. He, um, it's, it's really- he sounds like he's doing that. Yeah, Ridley, Ridley Co. Um, yeah, Ridley.co. Ridley Co. Oh, I'm sorry, Ridleyco.com. Yeah, R-I-D-L-E-Y-C-O.com mm-hmm. is uh, is their website, and um, yeah, they're they're doing some really interesting things in uh, penetrating the market up here with uh, sort of their style of executive architecture and digital bin management. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. I'll definitely put that in that link in the show notes. Um, and I know previously we talked about the the ENR issue um, that talked about the Stutter Health project, so I'll make sure to include that in the show notes as well. Great. Um, just to I guess wrap up, um, I always like to to ask the question like, how do you recommend um, someone who doesn't know very much about BIM or Lean? Um, to just start implementing something right right away, or 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 learn as much as they possibly can right away. Is there something that you would recommend? I mean, of course, hiring you would, would be one option, <laughs> but just to just to get their feet wet, right? Just start, you know, getting yeah. 
getting something, <laughs> you know, going. How, how would you recommend doing there, that? There are, there are fortunately some great media platforms out there that are, you know, delivering the right message. Um, I think uh, interna- internationally right now, the, the one that's uh, one of my favorites is the, the B1M. And uh, I think it's, it's just uh, the B1M.com. And uh, you can follow their Twitter handle. And uh, Fred Mills is, is their founder. I actually got to meet him out in London and very passionate guy, uh, you know, very passionate to change the industry and move things forward. And, and their YouTube channel has just a ton of uh, one great examples of, of cool uh, BIM uses around the world, but more importantly, sort of these questions of, you know, why even use BIM in the first place? You know, what are what are some of the countermeasures? They, they get very much into the, the nuts and bolts of it, um, but in a very, you know, condensed way. So um, that, that's a great one. Um, another one would be, uh, you know, the, the structure uh, platform, which uh, is uh, it's it's uh, through through the uh, through Bluebeam, but uh, Sasha Reed uh, runs that program, and um, they 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 create some great videos and great understandings. Um, they did a great segment with Barton Mallow, uh, which is a general contractor here in the U.S. about the role of uh, sort of symbiotic mentorship and and some of what we were talking about earlier of the um, the experience of the superintendents and sort of the youth and the the ideas of uh, the millennial engineers and you know how they can work together to really solve that many more problems and um, another great platform to, to gain good information. Um, and then, you know, of course, your podcast and all the other podcasts out there. So it's, it's great to see uh, more media out there uh, that, that is talking about the things that need to be talked about in this industry when it comes to BIM. Absolutely. It's, yeah, begin with mind, but take it one step at a time. You know, it's, it's, uh, it sounds like an oxymoron, but, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's easier said than done, but, uh, I think we have to start somewhere and, uh, just like anything, it's I feel like coming off of Thanksgiving, it feels like uh, trying to go on a diet, you know, it's like everybody hates doing it, but once you get into it, then you always start to love it. That's right. That's right. All right. So my last question for you, how can people get in touch with you? Oh man. Uh, so, uh, the, the spectrum AEC website is www.spectrumaec for architecture, engineering, construction.com. Uh, and I also do have a personal website. Um, cause I, I do, you know, speaking engagements and other, you know, sort of thought leadership. And, and so you can find more of those videos and other things on my personal website, which is Nathan C as in Charles Wood. So Nathan C Um, and then, uh, same with the Twitter handles, uh, Twitter handle is at Nathan C Wood, uh, for spectrum it's at spectrum AEC. And, um, yeah, I, uh, try, try and be as uh, vocal as possible. Although, uh, um, I'm, I'm not, not as good as you are, uh, <laughs> try, try to get all the followers up and, and play the social media game. But, um, 
I'll always try and be out at the, the different technology conferences and, and keep those uh, conferences up to date on the website. So um, definitely look forward to anyone reaching out or hopefully seeing at a conference coming up soon. Great. Thanks so much, Nathan. This was an awesome discussion we had here. And um, I hope that the audience is uh, as excited as I am to, to have to listen to this as much as I had fun just interviewing you. So, no, this was great. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Brittany. I really appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Nathan. All right. Thanks a lot. Alrighty. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Nathan. It was a pleasure to interview him, and he's overall just a fun guy to chat with. Please find the show notes at constructor.com, and don't forget to subscribe. I look forward to sharing my interview with Spotter, a company that has a product that helps companies increase productivity uh, in their construction sites, as well as improve the safety of their workers. That will be in episode 16. Looking forward to sharing that with you next week.